Welcome to another episode of the Free to Love podcast. This is the first in a two-part conversation between Jennifer All and myself around the topic of trauma. And before I introduce our conversation this week, I just want to note that this is a sensitive topic for a lot of us, and it can trigger places of deep pain in us. So just know going into this that we try and navigate this complex topic openly and honestly, and Jen does share some of her own story of trauma. So just want you to be aware of that before we get things going. Now, one of the biggest obstacles to the healing journey and enjoying the freedom to love is a resistance to re-engaging those deepest places of pain in our lives. Trauma, both big and small, left unaddressed is hindering us from experiencing the fullness of life that we long for. In recent years, there has been an explosion in the public awareness of trauma, its sources and effects. While this is to be celebrated in so many ways, the casual invocation of trauma can actually be counterproductive to developing an accurate understanding of what it is and how we begin to deal with it. In this week's conversation, we seek to nuance our understanding of trauma, helping you identify places in your own story where you may have experienced it, and offering you an invitation to pathways of hope and healing. Friends, I hope that this conversation and next week equips you and empowers you to face those places of pain and to experience God waiting there to heal and to love and to restore you. I hope this week's conversation is a blessing. Friends, thank you so much for joining us. We have got a special episode for you this week. Uh, You may remember a while back that we touched briefly on the topic of trauma and we teased that maybe we would take some time and sit down with uh, wonderful Jennifer Jennifer All and uh, dive into this topic a little bit deeper. And that's what we get to do today. So um, looking forward to this conversation, Jen. Um, everyone's even, favorite yeah, topic. Yeah, everyone's favorite topic. I mean, hey, that's what this podcast is about. Let's dive into those places that, uh, you know, where angels fear to tread. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to learning about and to exploring trauma with you and um, just to learning more about your story too and, and the work that God's done in your life. So uh, before we get into um, some of your story and unpacking some of what you've learned about trauma and how to navigate it in your own life and in the lives of others. I just want to kind of set the stage for us, the, the why of this episode. Why do we think it's important mm-hmm. enough to take a whole episode, to do a special episode about trauma? Yeah. Well, uh, so just some quick data for us to set the perspective. Um, this is this information is was collated by... Um, actually the North Dakota Department of Human Services, but it's drawing on the National Trauma Institute and RecognizedTrauma.org that have uh, collated a lot of this information. So 60% of adults report abuse or other difficult family circumstances during childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, 26% of children in the U.S. will witness or experience a traumatic event before they turn four. Mm. 2% of all children experience sexual assault or sexual abuse during the past year. of girls age 14 through 17 experienced sexual assault or sexual abuse during the past year. One in five children witnessed violence in their family 
or neighborhood during the past year. More than 60% of youth aged 17 and younger have been exposed to crime, violence, and abuse, either directly or indirectly. Nearly half of all children and adolescents were assaulted at least once in the past year. Wow. Four of every children in America say they experienced a physical assault during the past year. One in 10 children was injured in an assault. And then these numbers are just kind of staggering too. The impact of trauma. The economic burden of trauma is estimated at more than 800 and, or sorry, 585 billion dollars every year. People who have experienced trauma are 15 times more likely to attempt suicide, four times more likely to become an alcoholic, four times more likely to develop a sexually transmitted disease, four times more likely to inject drugs, three times more likely to use antidepressant medica- medication, three times more likely to be absent from work, three times more likely to experience depression, three times more likely to have serious job problems, two and a half times more likely to smoke, two times more likely to develop chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and two times more likely to have serious financial problems. So that's just some of the, mm. you know, there's there's a lot of more data and research on trauma and its impacts, but there's a 30,000 foot view. And um, we also want to have this conversation because part of the goal and the mission of this podcast is to help people with langu- language and definitions, to name their experience and to navigate and make sense of the world at large. And, uh, you know, Jen, you and I, we've talked uh, a fair amount how, man, trauma, its visibility has been raised inside the church and outside of the church in the yeah. last, you know, five or 10 years in particular. Yeah. Uh, the field of traumatology is kind of exploding. It's this, uh, you know, it's got its own, its own fields tragically. And yeah. the language of trauma we see all over the place in entertainment and in media and in social media and, there's some, I mean, there's a part of me that looks at that and goes, yes, wonderful. Like we're, we're throwing open the closet doors and saying, let's look, let's bring these broken things to light and let's give language and name stuff. And at the same time, haven't we also seen, uh, some of the ways that trauma's talked about and some of the ways it's used, uh, muddy the waters, right? Sure. Yeah. Sure. And, and that's why I think it's helpful that we're talking about it right now, um, because sometimes, like you're saying, trauma gets used as a slang term mm-hmm. um, in unhelpful ways. Yeah. Because when something, um, if someone's really experienced trauma and then somebody else is just using trauma as a slang, like, mm-hmm. oh, I had a really bad day. It was so traumatizing. Mm-hmm. It feels dishonoring. It feels um, like you're minimizing somebody's pain and that's never helpful. We don't want to do that. So... Um, thanks for sharing those stats, Joseph. I think it's very, um, we all know that it's out there, Mm -hmm. um, but that reminds us that it's, it's real and it's happening and it's affecting so many more than we realize. And, um, and you're not alone Mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. Tragically, you're not alone. And I think one benefit to it becoming um, more talked about is that anyone who's afraid of bringing it to light or being vulnerable, um, it just being talked about allows more permission mm-hmm. for us to bring it Absolutely. to the light. And so if, if someone's been too afraid um, to bring it up, uh, 
this kind of culture where it's at least being talked about allows a little bit more for that. And that's where healing happens is when you bring things into the light. Absolutely. So that's the big perk of, um, that's one of the benefits of the culture that we're in being willing to talk about this and go to hard places. Mm -hmm. So Jen, um, having kind of stated that caveat and that like our, our hope for this, that people will walk away with a deeper understanding of trauma with some accurate language um, and also some helpful direction about how, if they've experienced trauma or if somebody that they love has experienced trauma, like what do we do with that? How do we hold it? What are some hopeful resources we can point people to? So I'm excited to get into that. Um, So Mm -hmm. let's, let's dive in. Could you help us with our definition of trauma? Like how, what is your understanding of it? How, how would you define trauma? Sure. I came across a few helpful definitions um, because it is a broad term. And so you're going to hear it used in a variety of ways out there. Um, One definition I found particularly helpful coming from the book, Understanding the Neurobiology of Trauma and Its Implications for Interviewing Victims. The, the, The way they define trauma is it's an event that combines fear, horror, or terror with actual or perceived lack of control. It's often a life-changing event with negative, sometimes lifelong consequences. I think why that definition stands out is because it brings up the key elements that um, trauma is this combo of a fearful experience with perceived or actual lack of control. Mm -hmm. And those are key components of it because... um, as Diane Langberg, she describes trauma as it's involving, it often involves an event that threatens life or threatens our safety in some way or our perceived safety mm-hmm. of a situation. And it's so alarming because it takes away our choice. You don't get a say if you want it or not. And that it results in overwhelming fear, mm-hmm. which the result of that is victims often feel alone, helpless, humiliated, and without hope. Mm. Um so when someone's talking about trauma and they, and you might hear, um, they've experienced trauma, that term often we're talking about three components when somebody's experienced trauma, we're t- describing three components there. One is the event itself or the chronic series of events. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's something that's happened. Um, it could be a natural disaster. It could be an accident. It could be an abusive situation. Mm -hmm. So there's a, something that has happened that has occurred that made them feel like their safety was threatened. They didn't have a choice in the matter. Mm -hmm. They, and so that brings us, so that's the first component. The second component would be their experience of that situation. Okay. How did you feel when that was happening? When this situation was occurring, how did you manage and how did you respond during the event? This is important because this is how we are internalizing it in the moment. Mm -hmm. So two people can go through the same experience. A tsunami hits. Right. Many people go through that experience, but not everybody walks away with the same process scene of that event because how they experienced it going on can change everything. Totally. So... um, when this thing was happening, how did you feel? Did you feel powerless or did you feel like you had choice in the moment that can change your experience? Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, imagine like two siblings who got lost in the woods and the younger sibling 
um, they are lost, but they don't really realize that they're lost. They're mm-hmm. just on a trail with their big brother mm-hmm. and they're just holding their hand and they're like, oh, granola bar, cool. Like <laughs> kind of enjoying the flowers along the way and it's getting dark, but it's kind of interesting. Older brother, on the other hand, um, knows the the risk involved with mm-hmm. being lost in the woods as the sun is setting. Older brother knows that there's no cell phone signal and so all these internal things are going on inside of older brother mm-hmm. who's now concerned for the life of the younger sibling and is trying to frantically find their way out of it. That older brother is, is experiencing something very different than the younger sibling. Mm-hmm. So they both may walk out of this situation. Um, an older brother is now super cautious, super on high alert, never leaves the house without a pack of water and granola bars Mm -hmm. and all sorts of things. You might respond differently to the situation um, and remember it differently than the younger sibling. So there's the event, there's their experience in the moment of the event, and then there's the effects, the lingering effects afterwards. Um, When you are going through whatever that situation was, quite often alarming situations that challenge our safety, raising us our fight or flight or freeze response, which is our um, stress response system. And our stress response system kicking into high gear is very powerful. It floods our brain with all these chemicals and Mm -hmm. hormones to get us to get to safety. Um, And there can be lingering and long-term effects of that. Um, what did we internalize from that event? What did we walk away now realizing? How did we make sense of the situation? All of those things, the combination of those things, the event, the experience itself, and the lingering effects afterwards, the lessons learned, the things we internalized, that is the beast that we often refer to as trauma. Mm. That's, thanks. That's, that is a super helpful Um beginning to definition for us of, of trauma. Let me, I uh, just want to reflect back a couple of things to you that stood out to me. Um, so it, it has this element of actual or perceived lack of control. Yeah. And that really stood out to me because I think that, uh, that helps explain some of what I see going on where, um, some people will name a, an event or, um, an experience or an institution as, you know, taking control away from them. They experience mm-hmm. a lack of control and it may not, it may not actually be real, but you're telling me that to a very real extent, uh, that just the perception of not having control of not having agency is one of the preconditions. One of the things that primes us from a, an emotional and a physiological level to experience a trauma. Yeah. 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 Perception shapes our reality. Sometimes. Yeah. And so it, it may not, even if it wasn't actually true, you actually mm-hmm. did have choices in that moment. Mm-hmm. If you perceive that you don't, the feeling of powerlessness can be just as real as yeah. if you really did have somebody. Yeah. Even if your hands really were bound, you know? Mm-hmm. Man, I, I feel like if we can grasp that, then that really empowers us to be empathetic towards people who w- we may be lost or confused trying to follow. Like, how, why, why are you describing this as a trauma? You know, like, nothing that bad happened, but if their perception, you know, um, is that they didn't have that agency or control, then it, for them, 
it it was. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. The the other thing I really I I love that image. Uh, the story of the 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 walk in the woods that went awry. You know, mm-hmm. and that's such a helpful different um, picture for describing those different perceptions that we have. Right. The younger brother trusts the other the older brother. Right. And is just kind of blissfully aware. Doesn't recognize the the threat. You know, and the potentiality for a negative consequence here, mm-hmm. but the older brother has this totally different awareness in part because he's more mature, right? Yeah, it's developed yeah. more of an awareness. So I see how some of that innocence, why trauma is particularly, um, particularly harmful for, for kids. If that sense of innocence, um, and naivety, uh, and wonder is, is violated, that can be pr- like, I mean, it's profoundly jarring. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, Key components are that loss of control, that that feeling of powerlessness, mm-hmm. um, combined with fear. Fear is a very mm-hmm. powerful emotion that really kind of marks our brains in a yeah, way. Yeah. Um, the thing too about trauma, particularly interpersonal trauma, trauma that happens between people. Um, when we're thinking of things like sexual trauma or racism, this kind of trauma is often about power. It's power over another person Mm. that strips away their humanity. So one person disregards, disrespects, and dehumanizes another person. And the victim is treated as something less than, something at the mercy of another person. Um, They're stripped of their dignity. They're dishonored. The victim feels helpless, powerless, and they didn't get a choice in the matter. And the thing is that, I think to experience those things is so jarring to our core because it's so counter to the way we were created. Mm. It's, I mean, whether you believe in God or not, there is something deep inside of us that knows and feels that injustice in our core. We know it in a, inside of us when we are, um, that feeling of dehumanizing another, of making someone feel less than that dishonor, the injustice that's rolled into that. I think it stays with us and it alters the way we now see ourselves in the world around us. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's part of trauma. Yeah. That's, that's really helpful too. And it does immediately raise a question that I'd like to see if you can help me with here. Um, the element of power and the power differential, that's something that, um, has really made its way into public consciousness. I'm thinking about, you know, uh, the Me Too movement Mm -hmm. that happened both inside and outside the church, you know, beginning with Harvey Weinstein being rightfully finally kind of exposed for the predator that he was. Uh, It brought into everyone's consciousness this this awareness of power imbalance, right? And then, of course, obviously racism here in America and the legacy of that too, that's one of the crystal clear images that we have. And so that's been very helpful to, for us to recognize, Hey, there is like, what sort of a pri- privileges, um, that we're not aware of grant us power that we, we need to be responsible with how we use. Yeah. Um, so I get that side of it. I think one of the things that I, um, as you're describing the, the element that, or the role that power plays into this, I think about like, well, fundamentally we're all equal in the image of God, right? Our constitution also in this country believes that, um, or it's, at least it's gotten to there once we made some very important <laughs> amendments um, regarding particularly black people and women. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're moving towards this 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 uh, belief in equality. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But then there's also this question of like stages of development, stages of maturity, right? Where it sure. is, isn't there like power being exercised over like, you know, a parent over a child, or I'm yes. thinking like teachers or administrators over students in some yes. capacity, like, is it Roles always in positions? Yeah. Like yeah. how do we help me navigate that some, like, can there be healthy forms of this or is it all abuse, all trauma? What do you mean? Like um, power over another? Yeah. Oh, power over another in and of itself is not a negative, right? Parents have power over their children in a sense. They mm-hmm. make decisions for them. They, when they say no, that's what right. the answer is. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm still trying to teach my three-year-old this. We had this conversation last night. She goes, but I say yes. And I was like, well, <laughs> my vote weighs more than yours. <laughs> um, and so it's not, it's the power over another that, that dishonors their humanity. Mm. It's power over another that, um, makes them less than Yeah, as a parent, um, has power over their child. They, they are seeing them as a valid, wonderful human and they are treating them as such, even though they are telling them no, mm-hmm. or they're saying, no, you have to get in the car seat right now, whether you want to or not. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have a choice in this. The child may be powerless, but they are embraced and supported and encouraged and seen in their fullness of humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the exercise of that power is actually to protect the flourishing of a life. Yes. Right. Yes. Gotcha. And we feel that. Mm-hmm. Okay. You feel that. Like when someone, um, oh, I'm, I'm thinking the, the beautiful saints who work in hospitals and care for other oh, yeah. people, when you are nurturing somebody um, who is powerless um, and they are in that, that sick bed, um, they can feel utterly lifted up and, and loved that. So that person in the sick bed, not necessarily going, I feel so traumatized because I'm powerless in this situation. Um, you can feel it when it can feel like genuine care um, and honor. Uh, so the power differential isn't necessarily a negative. Um, God is all powerful over us. There's a huge differential right, there, right. Um, but we don't feel traumatized by him. Yeah. Um, it's the power that that strips us, that makes us feel mm. um, less than, and that our dignity is being taken away from us. That's it. That we are not seen. Such a helpful nuance. Thanks. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to. I don't want to spend too much more time on defining it, but you, we've talked about in the past before we started recording the difference between big T trauma and little T trauma. So could you just unpack that briefly for us? Sure. Big T trauma um, is slang that you hear in these kinds of circles. Big T trauma is often um, event driven. It's usually referring to one kind of uh, cataclysmic event uh, that a person can usually name, they can refer back to. Um, Little T trauma tends to be, little T trauma is chronic and repeated a chronic and repeated pattern over time of often smaller events that activate our stress response system. So that fight or flight system is getting kicked up. Um, that, that danger alarm inside of us is getting kicked up on a regular patterned chronic basis, um, which eventually we're not meant to live in a constant state of danger Mm -hmm. and being in an environment where that is constantly coming up in you can lead to an alteration in our functioning. It 
this is part of the tragedy is that it actually does change the way our brain functions. Mm -hmm. Being flooded with hormones like that, that system being activated like that um, will change how we process the world around us. So when we're living in chronic coping or overactivity or over um, reactivity, living in the survival mode and danger setting um, can be just as altering to our system as the big T cataclysmic event mm -hmm. kind of trauma. That's okay. That's, that's such an important distinction to understand. Yeah. So because, little, so yeah. some examples of little T trauma would be, um, growing up in an unsafe environment mm -hmm. with maybe an alcoholic parent. Right. So for the course of years, you don't know, you're walking on eggshells and you never know when, when, it's, mm -hmm. when the explosion is going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, you, it, Little T trauma can be experienced when you're in a setting where you experience lots of microaggressions, mm -hmm. um, low level, constant hostility that makes you feel like you're walking around just unsafe yeah. all the time. Maybe you, um, were growing up black in a white neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Maybe you, um, just looking at the, the racism all over the place, the treatment of our Asian brothers and sisters mm -hmm. in a time when all these things are happening, um, being teased about your weight for years, um, that those little microaggressions, um, where you feel unsafe in these, in your danger alarm is going off quite often, totally. um, can be a source of little T trauma. Yeah. Where you're receiving that constant message that you're not safe and that you're not loved, that you're disrespected. I'm also, you know, coming to mind too is, uh, sadly how often, uh, particularly religious homes or t different strains of religion can be very traumatic in the little T sense, right? Creating a system, you know, we always, you always hear about Catholic guilt, right? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, to me, that's, that's representative in some ways in the unhealthy capacity where, oh man, you grew up in a chronically, like a chronically traumatic religious environment where this image of God is one predominantly of angry, punitive, you know, mm -hmm. um, rather than... You're not safe with him. Yes, Yes. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah. I feel like this conversation that just we we had trying to define trauma, or at least how you and I are using it in this conversation, uh, has been really helpful. I feel pretty clear about it. I'm hoping that our listeners do too. Um, but I, I'd love for us to transition a little bit from defining it and the problem, like we would did 30,000 feet, you know, then maybe came down to 10,000. I'd love for us to you know, um, to hit the ground a little bit and to dig into some of the implications of trauma and, um, and also to ask you, Jen, you know, why is, why is trauma, um, such an important part of your work and why have you made it a focus in some of your ministry? Mm. Well, partly I'm seeing it everywhere. I'm seeing it in the people that I'm meeting with, um, because trauma happens to men, women, children, teens, uh, I've sat with older women who have not processed their trauma for decades mm. and they're in their seventies and they've never spoken about it to anyone. And it's haunted them for all these years because trauma just doesn't stay in the past. And, um, it's, it's in my past. That's, mm. that's part of it too. It's my story. Um, I grew up in a wonderfully loving home. Uh, we, my family loves Jesus. And I grew up with this foundation, this identity that I am a beloved child of God. Um, I walked around talking to Jesus. He was my imaginary, mm -hmm. you know, not imaginary friend, but that's what people would have thought when I just walked around talking to the this air. Um, but I was really talking to Jesus and, 
but still, still, when I was in college, I was raped and, um, it, it wrecked me and I didn't realize Mm. how much it shattered that identity that had been so instilled in me. Mm -hmm. Um, a traumatic event like this, it's incredibly powerful and we don't want it to be. I spent years not wanting it Mm. to be as impactful. Mm -hmm. I was like, why does it have to matter? It was one day. It was one like, mm-hmm. but what it does to our, uh, what it can do to our identity and how we respond to it, the lies that come in in mm-hmm. these kinds of situations, the things that we tell ourselves, um, it can deeply impact us. And what I, I didn't trust myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't trust others afterwards. Um, the shame that I experienced after this event was so intense mm-hmm. because I, I turned it all internally and blamed myself. Um, and it hurt my relationship with God. There's all these things that it can do. Yeah. And so I had to, uh, realize how much it was affecting me. I didn't, it took me a year before I would even, uh, say that this is what had happened to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I just didn't want it to be true. Yeah. And then um, it was years later before I was, before I went to a therapist for it, because even then I was like, I know what the truth is. Mm-hmm. I am still loved. Da, da, da. Like I, yeah. I knew the right things to say and the right things mm-hmm. to think, but I was having so much trouble connecting my head to my heart. Yeah, white knuckling it. Yes. That was such part of my coping. Yeah. Clearly I'm a controller. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Shamer and a controller. You can tell it right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing too is that it, I carried it into my marriage. Mm. And so um there was a level of healing and processing that I had done on my own. But then when I got married and you're supposed to be able to be intimate with this person who really does love you, who Mm -hmm. really does see you, um, it was incredibly hard and Mm -hmm. it brought up all these things. I was having flashbacks and triggers. And, um, so then we, we had to work through it as part of our marriage story. Mm -hmm. Um, and God used, um, my, our marriage and our relationship, our usness to really, um, help me heal. And it was part of my healing journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, it matters a lot to me and I see people still walking, um, still, it feels like you can be a prisoner of war. Mm. Like you can know Jesus, you can love him. Um, but you've got these chains wrapped around you mm-hmm. that you think you just have to carry the rest of your life. And I believe that God has more for us. Yeah. And that's why trauma matters to me. And that's mm. why uh, I've looked into it and care about it so much. Mm. But Well, thank you so much for, I'm, first of all, I'm, I'm so sorry that that is a part of your story. I wish, yeah, it, I wish I it wasn't, but I'm so grateful just for the courage and the vulnerability you just uh, you just displayed um, in sharing that with us. So Thanks, thank you. Joseph. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'd love for, you know, knowing that this is something that you've studied, but also it's informed by your own personal experience and, and it's informed by the journey that God has had you on in, in your own healing. What, you know, I'm, I'm sure people are wondering, well, like, what do I, you know, what do I need to know about trauma? How is it going to impact? How is it, impacted me that I'm maybe not even aware of, or if I have a loved one that's gone through a trauma that I can't, 
I can't relate to because I haven't experienced something like that. Yeah. Maybe how's it impacting them? What's helpful to know about yeah, it yeah. beyond the definition and understanding what it is, what's helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think there's a huge myth out there that needs to be busted, bust the myth that it's in the past. So it doesn't matter anymore. Mm. I've heard so many people think that and say that, and all it is, is a shame statement. Mm -hmm. It's them shaming that I shouldn't be feeling these things. This shouldn't be affecting me. And it still is. And I'm angry about it Mm -hmm. or however they're taking it. But that statement is simply not true. Yeah. Um, The reality is, is that we remember in one way or another, trauma stays with us until it's been processed. Um, It impacts our memories. um, The way, (laughs) <laughs> the way the brain works when trauma is occurring, um, the way it stores those memories um, can even be in patches. Um, and so when we're recalling the event, it may not, it may be a little disorganized. Fragmented. Um, yeah, fragmented. You may remember some details incredibly vividly um, while other things are complete black holes. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. It's just the way the brain is trying to process and store information while it was in a completely overwhelmed state. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you're talking to someone, um, just listen and don't stress out if the puzzle pieces aren't linear. Mm -hmm. Um, It it doesn't mean it didn't happen. They're worth listening to. Um, The other thing about the reality that it stays with us, um, it comes out, the, the, the memory of trauma, it's going to come out one way or another, even if it's not spoken about, even if you try and stuff it down, um, it continues to impact us and it often speaks through symptoms. So it bubbles mm. up to the surface of us one way or another it comes out in changed behaviors and in a changed mindset. Mm -hmm. So even if you're not talking about it, um, it's coming out in um, your subconscious. It's leaking out of you. Yeah. Um, So it's worth, it's worth doing the process work. Uh, This is what we, a key part of understanding why trauma matters is because it impacts our identity formation. Mm. This is a, a significant piece to me because when it was happening, Uh, when trauma happens, I think that there is a confusion inside of us. We don't, because like I said, we're not meant to experience such injustice Mm -hmm. or such pain. Um, And so there is this jarring in our core that's confusing and our brains do not like confusion. Our brains like to figure out an answer to the question. And so our rational brains will work out an explanation, even if it's a completely false explanation, it will try and latch onto something that makes this pain make sense. Um, And so quite often that's where a lie enters in. Mm. So this traumatic thing happens. I have no idea why this would happen. There must be something wrong with me, or there must be something wrong with other people, or there must be something wrong with the world. We attribute Mm -hmm. a reason for the pain that we're going through. There must be something wrong with God. Yes, there must be something wrong with God. We internalize an explanation for the pain that we've been through because it's too hard to sit in the tension of mm. bad, crappy things yeah. happen sometimes yeah. and or other people, you know, it's just, um, but that's where lies often enter in that deeply impact our identity. So instead of thinking I'm a beloved child of God, I have worth and I have value, we internalize, I must be broken. 
I actually don't have any value. Um, Mm -hmm. I will never be able to heal from this. I may have had value before, but now I do not have any more. Um, I actually have nothing to offer. I am now used. I don't, Mm. um, I'm damaged goods. Mm -hmm. Um, or I'm on my own. People can't be trusted. I'm not actually safe with anyone anywhere. Anyone who appears to be good is really up to something else. Mm. It's a defense mechanism, right? It's up to me. Yes, it's up to me. I can only trust myself. I'm on my own. God's not even with me. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of lies that it comes in um, and impacts our identity and it stays with us if we don't process it and um, because it has challenged our understanding of who we are and how we operate in the world around us and it gets woven into our identity and becomes our identity formation. Mm. So now we've woven it into the very fabric of who we are and how we navigate the world and our relationships around us. Mm-hmm. And that's where trauma can be being lived out in our lives years and years later. Mm-hmm. So we might see it show up in our relationships with one another. That's the nasty mm. lingering effects um, of how we cope with trauma and how it impacts our daily life. Um, cause we're not necessarily re-experiencing the trauma all the time, but now that we've woven some of these lies into our identity, we are now constantly coping with the pain of that false identity. Yeah, man, the collateral damage of trauma just seems to be so profound. Yeah. And it, and it, it touches if, if left unaddressed, unnamed, unintegrated into our story, not brought to the light, you know, as you mentioned earlier, uh, it seems like it it bends and warps our our whole perception of reality of ourself of the world of God and um, yeah I know I'm I'm reminded of I don't know who said it I know Jeff says it often it's kind of a uh, in these circles it's a, a quote but you can you know we try and bury the past but if you bury the past it, you bury it alive right mm. so that it's still you can try people do all the time yes. to just say it's in the past. It doesn't matter. Why do we have to talk about that? You yeah. know? And it's like, well, because that it's still, it's still alive back there waiting for you and for God, um, to go back to search it out, to be courageous and bold, to excavate it, to name it and to begin to, uh, care for that broken and wounded self. I know that I've heard too, that in, in, you know, we see this in the military too. We're right next to Camp Pendleton here, you know, in, in Carlsbad and, PTSD is obviously one of probably the most recognizable um, consequence of profound trauma, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, But there's a lot of hope, right? There's a lot of hope because, um, and we'll get to the hope a little bit later. And before we do that, actually, I I want for you to unpack for us a little bit, if you would, um, how is it, you know, without healthy tools, without mm-hmm. some of the tools that, you know, we believe are present in the skills courses that is present in the pain and peace cycle, the restoration therapy model, um, without healthy tools for healing and integrating this, we all cope with this profound pain in different ways. So could you help kind of name some of the ways sure. we do that? What might this be looking like yes. in someone's yes. life? Yes. yes. Well, when you've, uh, you're, when you've internalized the lie of painful thing, um, this confusion or this new sense of unsafety, we are going to respond. Um, well, we we want the pain to go away, right? So you might try to just to avoid it. 
um, which could look like zoning out. It can look like um, avoiding certain relationships, um, running from things, right? Um, it can also look like trying to self-soothe uh, in all sorts of destructive ways, right? Mm-hmm. That's where you get some of the addictions that come in because um, it's trying to self-soothe, numb the pain of this terrible thought or feeling that I'm now experiencing a lot. Um, get a hit of happiness, even though it doesn't last and its effectiveness wears off, but it'll save me for that moment from mm-hmm. this pain that I'm in. Um, make the pain go away. One response to trauma is often people isolate. They think no one can really understand the depths of my pain. No one really gets it. So don't bother talking about it. You can't handle my pain. Mm. Um, and it's actually just an isolating technique. Yeah. It's a way that they are saying, um, it's a way of pushing people away mm-hmm. um, and keeping them safe in theory by not letting others close to them. Um, then there's just straight up denial. That's another way to try to avoid the pain is pretend it didn't happen or tell yourself it didn't happen. Um, and if no one else knows, then maybe it'll just go away on its own, which we've already said doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, another way trauma might be uh, impacting us is like I said, for me and my story is the shame that, that mm-hmm. you carry with you. Um, not just, it's not like you're thinking of the event every single day. That's not necessarily how you're experiencing it. It's now you walk around with shame that I am no longer like I am mm-hmm. nothing. I have no value. Um, the, the lie that the, the event caused you to believe about yourself, that's what you're carrying into your everyday situations. So the shame attached to that lie might be what is, um, uh, spinning out into even more coping mechanisms. Right. So. Yeah. Well, and the, the insidiousness of shame is that it's so often, uh, semi-conscious right? yeah. or even subconscious, depending on how painful these, these traumas are, the memories are, we may have pushed it all the way down, right? Mm-hmm. It's repressed. And we've, we've so deeply internalized shame as this new baseline of our value, worth, and identity that we're not even conscious that we're carrying this shame into everything. Yeah. Yeah. We just experience it because we're not speaking up in meetings. We're not giving voice to our Mm -hmm. things. We're not pulling up a seat at the table because we don't think enough of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it might show up in a variety of ways. But um, another way uh, trauma could be um, showing up is in um, beautiful control coping techniques, Mm. ways that we white knuckle our lives. Mm -hmm. So um, if the world feels unsafe around me, well, I'm going to make it safe, at least for what I can control. Mm -hmm. And so you'll see um, people who claim that they're just type A personalities, but really it's, it's stemming from not a personality type of liking things organized. It's coming from an obsessive, I can't trust anyone else. I can only trust myself. So I will do every part of this project. I will do everything because (laughs) I I cannot trust anyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I only rely on myself. Um, It can show up in your relationships with other trust issues over suspicion of people who've done nothing to deserve suspicion, Um, checking their text messages, always keeping tabs on when and where, blowing up at them when they didn't tell you exactly where they're, that they were stopping at the store before coming home. Um, Unfounded jealousy, setting rigid rules where in your relationship, you're not allowed to talk to these people. You can't do that. Like, 
all of that kind of, um, that's all control techniques to try Mm -hmm. and make what feels unpredictable and unsafe more predictable and controllable. Mm -hmm. Um, it can show up in, um, confusion and overcompensation. I see trauma affecting relationships like that. Um, if, if in abusive situations, um, whatever that interpersonal dynamic was can really impact your understanding of other people. And so if, if you were abused by a person of a certain race or a certain color, you might now have different, um, understandings of, of race and, um, cultures. If you were abused by somebody of the same gender or the opposite gender, you might now have things to process about, um, your feelings towards that gender. Um, there may be, uh, I've seen people who, who were abused by somebody of the same gender. And so then they compensate because it, it causes, um, them to question their own sexuality um, and cause some confusion internally. And so then they will, um, overcompensate by sleeping with a whole bunch of people of the other gender just to try and prove something. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where yeah. people often think if someone's been abused, they wouldn't be promiscuous afterwards. Right. That's another myth. Okay. Yeah. Um, that can be a, a coping response. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see that because sometimes, um, it's a form of self-punishment. The promiscuity can be a self-punishment. Like Mm. I've been treated like trash. I might as well just live Mm -hmm. into that. Um, They could be doing that because they're trying to overcompensate for the confusion and the Mm -hmm. struggle within. Um, They can be doing that um, also in a way to, in a sense, subconsciously even replay the settings in order to get a different outcome because now they oh, will, wow. yeah, um, that makes so much sense. They can be in that kind of situation, but now they have control. They're yes. not powerless. Yes. So they, in a sense, um, recreate the scenario so that they can have a different outcome to it. Um, but we're getting real deep into the, yeah, well, and that's the psychology yeah. there, but <laughs> yeah, we can, we can, um, we can unpack some of that stuff maybe in a letter, uh, another <laughs> episode later. But it, one of the things that strikes me about what you were kind of the direction you were just going, I just, it was breaks my heart, but also in awe at this impulse in our minds, in our bodies, and in our spirits to heal. Like, you know, that, hey, I'm trying to rewrite this pain and this this trauma that has happened. I'm trying to take back control and agency, you know. Um, I, that is pretty beautiful in, in a weird way. Yeah. yeah, we are much stronger. We have a as much as our minds might be quick to go towards the negative, we have a penchant for healing and resilience. We want, we want to thrive. We, it's that too is also Mm -hmm. in us. And so we will try and find ways to repair um, what was taken and what was stolen. Mm -hmm. That's where grace is just so, you know, we, in all of our groups and in curriculum and conversation, right. We try and emphasize that this is a grace-based process healing must be right. Mm -hmm. Because man, when you begin to understand some of the the things that people have suffered and gone through, you know, um, the God's heart just breaks and it should break ours too. And it's, we should, you know, extend people 
grace rather than judgment. If you haven't, if you haven't, if you don't have the appropriate resources to handle um, some of these sorts of pains and traumas that people endure, I cannot blame or judge anybody for what they try and do in that pain and confusion to try and find some measure of peace or dignity. Mm. At the same time, um, being hurt does not entitle us to hurt others. Yes. That's the kicker here. Um, that's also a response of anger and blame is, um, I've been through this and mine is so terrible. I'm now entitled Mm -hmm. to act however I want with anyone I want, because look at what has happened to me. Right. And that is not okay. Yeah. Because then we can continue these cycles of abuse because in our entitlement, we can often abuse others. Mm -hmm. So I'm hearing you talk about maybe an anger response. An anger response. Um, I've been made to be powerless. Well, by golly, I will now take power and I will lord it over other people. Um, and that's not okay either. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's it. trauma, the effects of trauma and how we try and cope with it and how we try and repair it can definitely find its way into our current relationships. It can be why we're struggling to keep a steady relationship. Um, it can be why we serial date Mm-hmm. unhealthy people. Um, it can, it can explain a lot of things and sometimes we don't see that those dots are all connected. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, um, is worth exploring cause it might be why you're dealing in relationships the way you are. Well, Jen, we've, uh, I feel like we've covered so much ground here and trying to explore and name and bring to light um, what is trauma? Why is it important? How pervasive and affected, you know, um, how much is it affecting our own lives, the lives of those we love, the culture that we're, we're living in. I feel like we've, we've kind of walked through, um, a little bit of what trauma looks like in our lives, how it can manifest, uh, how we cope with trauma. And there's a lot more to be said. And I'm kind of thinking that what we should do, I, I don't want to leave people, we spend a lot of time talking about hard and painful things. <laughs> so I do want to end on a note of hope um, and say, we're going to do a, a second part to this and uh, not to string people along, but you'll want to, t- you'll want to tune in for part two of this conversation with Jen, because we're going we're gonna to shift and we're going to focus on asking some of the questions like, where is Jesus in all of this? And more importantly, okay, maybe I've now realized that I have suffered trauma or somebody I love has suffered trauma. Like um, I can now maybe identify it in my family system or in myself. Uh, Okay. Well, what next? Where's the hope, Jen? Like, is there a path to healing? And so uh, I think next, uh, next episode, let's explore some of that. Does that sound all right? Sure. Well, I'd love to end. um, I'd love to try and end with uh, a blessing and a poem. Yeah. <laughs> now that they may be sitting there realizing, oh my gosh, I didn't know that this was connected to the trauma that I experienced that I didn't want to really think was impacting me anymore. Um, let's leave them with a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think, but actually yeah. it's true. I mean, it's true that, um, I mean, cause God is not surprised. He's known this whole time that that's what we've been struggling with. Mm-hmm. Or that's why we're being doing what we are doing. And, um, 
bringing things to light and connecting some of those dots is some of the first steps towards healing. And, and there's so much hope there because our God is a redeeming God. Mm-hmm. Well and said. the enemy, man, the thief comes to still kill and destroy. Mm-hmm. And he uses all kinds of things, total accidents, car accidents, tsunamis, um, injustices, things that we had no control over. And the enemy gets a hold of it and just loves to try and instill these lies in us. But what the enemy means for harm, God turns to good. Mm-hmm. That is who our God is. Yeah. He is a redeeming God who says, I will not let the enemy have the last word. Mm-hmm. The thief may come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Amen. And God will not rest. He will never let the enemy have the final say over your life, over mm-hmm. your story. Um, he is already advocating for you. God is. He is fighting for you. He is convicting people for you. Mm-hmm. Even if the justice system never knew of the incident whatsoever, mm-hmm. I guarantee you God is convicting the person who may have wronged you. Um, he is he is for you, not against you. And he is longing to take you on a road of healing. He is longing to take the terrible things that have happened to us and redeem them, heal them, empower us and give us purpose in the pain so that uh, the enemy actually rues the day that he did this damage. Wow. That the enemy goes, dang it, I should have just avoided that altogether. Yeah. Because <laughs> the kingdom of God is advancing because of these wretched things and how God has redeemed these wretched mm-hmm. things um, to bring life out of death. Yeah. Kingdom of, of, of heaven is advancing and even the gates of hell will not be able to withstand it. That's right. right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. There is um, transformation from pain to peace. Mm-hmm. Man, what a what a beautiful um, truth to ground ourselves in there. That was just uh, I I love that that passionate burst of of truth from you, my friend. Um, I'm so grateful for this time and this conversation with you, and I look forward to this next one that we'll have, where we're going to dive deeper into the pathways of healing, understanding ourselves, what we can do with trauma, how to begin taking some of those steps towards. Um, opening up our hearts and our minds and our stories to God who longs to bring to light that which has been kept in darkness, to, to name the, the nameless things, uh, to, to right-size the terror and the harm that's happened in our lives, and to gift us with, with freedom. I mean, that's what this yeah. whole podcast is about, free to love. God longs to heal us, to set us free, to love ourselves, to love Him, to love others and to be agents of love, peace, and transformation in this world. So I look forward to uh, our next conversation, Jen. And so thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks listeners for sticking with us. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have questions or need help or for more information about how to take the next step in your healing journey, please feel free to email us at ftlpod.com at northcoastcalvary.org or head over to the relationshipresource.org to learn about what classes 
and resources are available to support you. A big thanks to North Coast Calvary Chapel and the Relationship Resource for making this podcast possible. Our podcast was directed and produced by Joseph Carlson and edited by Nate King. Original music by the one and only Brian McMaster.